reading today is from 1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamations to the imprisoned spirits. To those who have to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was in it only a few, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism, for now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Thank you so much, Nia. Guys, I think there's some problem with the translation. Is it working? Is it not working? And is there anything we can do to make it work for people? Okay, great. Uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for your word, and we pray you will speak to us through it today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so, ooh, sorry, I forgot my clicker. Don't throw it. I won't catch it, and that'll be embarrassing. Uh, there we go. Great. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today. My name is Morris. I'm one of the leaders here, and we've been reading this letter together um, Peter's first letter, that's why it's called 1 Peter, first letter to a very early group of Christians. Peter is one of Jesus' disciples and he's writing to them about some of the struggles they're having following him. Now recently I was in the car with my wife and we were eating a certain type of crisps. And uh, my wife reminded me that we once visited in hospital someone who was sort of somewhat connected to our church. Um, and all he wanted were these type of crisps. And people couldn't find them anywhere. People from the church going here, not walkers, because you can't find them everywhere. They're quite obscure type of crisps. And lots of people in the church were helping him out in, with crisps and in other ways. Um, but a few months later, when he had got all the help he could get from the church, he disappeared. Never saw him again. We're not in touch with him at all. So as far as we can tell, if that kindness was meant to achieve something, it seemed like a waste. It did not obviously win that person to our church or as far as we can tell, to trusting Jesus. Now, this letter, 1 Peter, has talked a lot about the basic way that Christians live is that they, we, if you're a Christian here today, what we do all the time is we do good for people who reject us. That is Christian ethics. That is one marker of how Christians who are scattered, a minority, without much of our own to share, our basic attitude is still we do good always to people around us and we don't tire of doing good when people don't 
do good back. It's just what we do. When people do evil to us, we saw last week, we repay evil with good. But when even on a very small level that happened to me, surrounding crisps, I felt annoyed. I felt annoyed on behalf of my family that that had happened. I felt annoyed on behalf of the church. And I'm sure you have your own stories if you've been living as a Christian for any particular length of time. I was studying 1 Peter once with someone who was in this country and they were being exploited by a horrible boss in an illegal job that they couldn't get away from because they needed the money. And we studied 1 Peter and we read, you live a good life and then other people will be led to glorify God if you do. And so he came back the next week and said, well, this week I went out of my way to be kind and generous and go the extra mile for my horrible boss who was behaving illegally. And everyone else in the group was like, great, how did it go? He said, it didn't make any difference at all. In fact, if anything, it made it worse because he feels more and more like his bad behavior is justified because I'm just picking up the slack for all the bad things he's doing. This is a problem with repaying evil with good. It feels like evil wins. It feels like that. If I'm kind and generous and Jesus-like as much as I can be to people to whom it doesn't make any difference, it feels like a waste. It feels like pouring my good works down some sort of drain. And maybe you feel the same way this morning in some part of your life about persisting in doing good to the people around you. If that's how you feel, this bit of 1 Peter is for you. And if you don't feel that now at this moment, if you're living as a Christian, you will feel that at some stage. So this should help you get ready. It's worth saying that bits of this letter that we've done have been controversial. If you've been here, we've skimmed plenty of controversy. And the bit Josh did with us last week was very practical. The bit we're doing today is very sort of like theologically deep and debated. And that's not everyone's cup of tea. But with God's help, we are going to still uh, see that it helps us engage with our culture in this basic way. We do good even where that doesn't bring people to respect us or to respect Jesus. We persist in it anyway. It is better, Peter says, to suffer for doing good rather than doing evil. First reason, it's better to suffer for doing good because Jesus suffered for others. There are some things that are so basic, you just forget to do them. You forget about them. I remember once I was at a dinner party and it was the type of person whose house you had to take off your shoes. Are you that type of person? You're a cold feet house for the sake of your carpets. Uh, anyway, you're a shoes off house, and this guy looked at his phone and suddenly went, I'm late, I've got to go, and rushed out of the room, and we heard the front door slam. And literally about two or three minutes later, the front door knocked, and we opened the door again, and he said, oh, I forgot to put on my shoes. <laughs> I was like, how far? Did you? It was raining. <laughs> Sometimes things are so basic, we just forget them. And Peter, throughout this letter, has gone back to basics a few times 
to the most basic truths of Christianity. He does it again here in 1 Peter 3:18. Christ suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That is basic Christianity. That is it. That is what we are telling people. Jesus wants to bring us to God. In our natural state, we're God's enemies. We're alienated from God. We don't know God. We're made by him, but we're not his friends or his children, Peter says. All religions say a version of that. They say, naturally, you're far from God, or naturally, you're not reaching your potential. But all other religions say, you do this, and then you will be right with God, or you will start your journey back to spiritual life, if you do these things. Jesus does not say that. The verse says, Jesus did something for sinners to bring them to God. So the whole of Jesus' message is entirely different. It says, trust him that he has done what needs to be done to bring you to God. What did he do? He suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus came into our world and lived a perfect life. He was righteous. So when he was punished for sin, it wasn't his own wrong things he'd done he died for. He didn't have any of those. No, it was the righteous one in the place of unrighteous people. So that these unrighteous people could be brought to God. Jesus died the death that we deserved for things that we did wrong so we can come to God. So we can come. Jesus says, I, the righteous one, have suffered for what you've done wrong. So you, the unrighteous, can come to God. Now, every week at Christchurch, we have many people visiting us. If that's you, welcome today. If you're not visiting us, if you've come here at all, I think probably what I've just said is not new news to you. I hope you've picked up that's what we believe if you sat here for any length of time. It wasn't news to the Christians Peter was writing to, this basic truth of the Christian faith. They knew Jesus died to carry the weight of sins that I committed, that you committed, and because of that wonderful act of substitution, I can come to God freely as I am and he can begin transforming me. But Peter has gone back to this basic truth throughout because he's saying to these Christians, you cannot worship someone like that and then say, oh, but suffering for doing good is bad. You can't do both. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you're here to worship and we're going to take communion which is to help us remember and honour someone who died for the sins of unrighteous people, who, even though he'd done nothing wrong, suffered for others. We are here today, we are a church, because we think that is the best thing that anyone ever did, Jesus dying for our sins. And so Peter is saying, you know, you know it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil because the whole view of the world that you've got rests on someone doing that for you.
Now, 1 Peter has provoked lots of discussions. Lots of people in church are in groups where we discuss the Bible. We'd love you to join one. You shouldn't just listen to what I say. You should come talk about it with others. And working out how to apply that is hard. We've said a few times, just putting up with someone's bad behaviour endlessly sometimes isn't what's good for them. Sometimes working out what's good for other people is hard. But sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it is easy to work out what good would be for someone else who doesn't like me. I just don't want to do it. And Peter is pushing us into a corner. He's painting us into a corner. He's saying, whether you want to do that or not is not the question. The question is, do you think Jesus did that? Did Jesus carry the weight of other people's wrongdoing? And he's saying to these Christians, I think you do believe that. I think you do believe that he, truly righteous, took the weight of unrighteous people's wrong behaviour on himself so you could know God. You're going to gather together to take bread and wine to remember him like that. How can you be against living that way? Whether you want to live that way or not, it's by the by, really. Do you think Jesus lived that way and died that way? So actually, how can you complain about getting crisps for someone who just leaves the church? It's foolish and childish. How can you not want to be kind to that person who is never kind to you? Often we get very self-righteous when someone isn't nice to us, don't we? We, we get all like, I don't deserve to be treated that way. And you're probably right. Very few people deserve to be treated badly by other people. But when you became a Christian, you said, I want to live in a world where righteous people who don't deserve it carry the weight for unrighteous people. I chose that when I trusted Jesus to do that for me. It's a beautiful thing the Bible calls grace, where we don't assert what we deserve, but carry the weight for people who get things wrong. It's what Jesus did for us. And so if you're a Christian, the world you live in is the world where we gather every week to celebrate and love and be entranced by and worship the beauty of the one who did that for other people. Now listen, I get, you know, I don't just talk to people on Sundays. People talk to me about things the rest of the time. And I get, for many people, particularly people who have those close to them who are not Christians, carrying the weight of their rejection is very hard. And you can get to the stage where you can say, I've put up with enough. I can't believe she's so rude to me. You're tired of carrying the cost of the wrong they are doing on you. But there is strength for that battle in worshipping Jesus who did that for you. Those moments are your moments to be in some small way like him, the one you think is worth worshipping. Well, so far, this is so Peter. He's talked about this a few times. 
I haven't really got to my question. Does evil win if we do that? If we just keep copying Jesus in his death, accepting wrong against us, won't other people just get worse? Like my friend in his exploitative job. I will go the extra mile if that's what Jesus says I've got to do, but I feel like that's encouraging the person doing the bad thing to be worse, pouring my goodwill down the drain of someone else's evil. Well, the next thing Peter says is this. It's better to suffer for doing good because Jesus defeated evil. Okay, if you're here today and you're visiting, I'm going to say something that's unusual in the modern world, which is here we believe there are spiritual powers at work that we can't see, that aren't part of the physical world, but affect things here. That's not a modern view. It's by far the most common view all the way around the world and in world history, but not in modern Britain. And the Christian view is that we need to have respect for these evil powers because they might tempt us away from God through lust or anger or hate to be devoured. One Peter is going to talk about that elsewhere. But this section, Peter is saying, we do not need to fear that evil will win if we are really following Jesus and doing good to others. It makes us feel, and I've put a picture here, like a failure, like a doormat. Like we're letting people away with doing things wrong if we repay good for evil. But Peter is saying, I know it feels that way, but it is not a victory for evil when Christians do that. And there's an assurance of that going on in these confusing verses. You might have seen them. Uh, verse 18 and 19, Jesus died for our sins. He was brought to life, and after that, he was brought to, he went to proclaim, made a proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. My goodness, the imprisoned spirits. A tsunami of ink has been spilt on who are the imprisoned spirits. If you're into reading theological books, which not everyone is, because some people are interesting, <laughs> but if you're into reading theological books, you may read many on who are the imprisoned spirits. Here are your three options. One option, people think, is that Jesus, after he was raised to life, went into hell and gave people there a second chance to believe now that he was raised to life. I don't think that's right, and there's no sense of that anywhere else in the Bible that Jesus did that. It would seem quite a big thing to just like leave to one confusing verse. So I don't think that's what it's saying. Here's the second view. When it talks about the story of Noah which is in the book of Genesis, earlier on in the Bible, before Jesus was born, Peter is saying, in those days when Noah preached to people, that was actually the spirit of Jesus preaching to people. So it was Jesus, even before he was born as a human being, he existed and was communicating from God. Now, that is theologically correct. Maybe you never knew that. Jesus, as God's son, existed from eternity... And it was Jesus, by the Spirit, communicating with people in the Old Testament, even before the man, Jesus Christ, had been born as a baby. Now, you may have questions about that, but that is theologically, it's true. The problem is, the translation says, and it's right, that Jesus did this preaching after he was resurrected. So not way back in time. So it was the imprisoning that happened at the time of Noah, but Jesus spoke to the imprisoned spirits after he was resurrected. Is anyone still with me? Good. Third option, which I think is right. 
There is a very strange bit in the book of Genesis before Noah with some odd beings who appear, and no one really knows what they are, called the Nephilim. No one knows who they were particularly, but people are generally agreed they were dark spiritual forces. And some people receiving the letter of 1 Peter at the time believed that those dark forces, the Nephilim, had had children and those children were demonic spirits doing evil in the world. But God had imprisoned them. He had stopped them taking over the world and doing evil. In their history, the people of 1 Peter, in their mythology, those spirits were the darkest, creepiest, scariest evil spirits you could think of, the Nephilim's children. But they were limited by God. They were imprisoned. And Peter is saying, when Jesus rose from the dead, he went and proclaimed his victory even to them, the darkest, scariest spiritual forces that there are. So think of the most evil, frightening force that you know. When Jesus rose from the dead, he went and proclaimed his victory over that. And so when Christians follow Jesus down his path, when we do good to others who hate us because we are filled with the spirit of Jesus, because we worship Jesus, when we persist in repaying evil with good, it can feel like evil wins. I feel it. But I say to all of you, you know, I say to all of you every week, guys, we need to be kind to these people. And I know there's people in our church who give time and money and love and family time to help people who just take what they want and then disappear. It feels like you're wronged. And I'm going through life being generous and kind. And doesn't badness win? No. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, he proclaimed victory even over the darkest evil that there is. And that same Jesus, Peter says, now sits in heaven and rules over everything with every spiritual power sitting under him. So it's not a failure when we defy evil. Every time we defy evil, we defy revenge. We offer good like him. Every time we carry the weight of someone else's sin, we are walking in the path of the one who rules over everything already. That's a victory, not a failure. Although I get it feels like failure. Today, Jesus sits in heaven and everyone sits under him. But the glory, the victory of Jesus over evil is not demonstrated by armies marching. It is not demonstrated by winning clever arguments. Jesus' rule in the world is not shown by us cleverly showing people that they are wrong and we were right all along and they see the error of their ways. It's not even by doing kindness to people so that they then come to church and become Christians. The chinks of light, that great victory shining through, is when Jesus-like, a Christian, repays evil with good. There's no spiritual evil that defeats him. He went after he rose from the dead and paraded his victory over the worst spiritual evil these people could think of and that you could think of. And repaying good with evil 
walking his path. That is what shows his role now in heaven, peeping through into this dark world. Evil is not winning when Christians carry the weight of others' sin. Rather, the victory of our serving king is seen in a way that people can grasp. Let me give you an example, because it's all a bit hard to understand. I talked a few weeks ago about this lady, Elizabeth Elliot. You might remember what I said was her husband was killed by this uh, tribe in Latin America that the family were serving, they were bringing medical help and they were sharing the gospel with. And the people invited them in and then used the opportunity to kill her husband. And I think in that situation, there were extremely dark spiritual forces at work that made these people hate these people who were really trying to help them. There was something very dark going on there. And Elizabeth Elliot, after going back to America to recover, took her family back to the same place and served that same tribe who had killed her husband. I just want to be clear, this is not a great victory story. You know, yay, then there was a brilliant revival and everybody became a Christian. That didn't happen. She worked hard there for a few years and then came home with no obvious fruit. So was it a failure? Did evil win? Of course it isn't. I mean, we might think, oh yes, her husband's generosity poured out to the point of death for people. It was wasted. Was it? Or was that a victory? Was that the light shining through in a dark world of the great king who truly rules in heaven now? Who ruled through serving? It wasn't wasted. In that moment, what Jesus is like was made visible. Now that's almost an unhelpful example because it's so big, like a big thing to do to go back and share the gospel with your husband's murderers. Peter is into much more normal everyday demonstrations of this. Respecting the authorities, when we honour an unfair employer, when we love our undeserving spouses, when we're kind and generous to someone who's deeply hurt us. All of those things are heavy to carry. But they are not a victory for evil. Jesus has defeated evil. No spiritual force can stop that. No, when we do that, we are a shining light of the king's rule to even the darkest, most normal, most exhausting places that we live. It feels like failure. But if we believe what we say about Jesus, it's victory. Third thing we see. It's better to suffer for doing good because you pledged yourself to him. I love this. I think um, suddenly Peter starts talking about baptism. And I think it's just like he's one of those people that suddenly has changes of thought. He's like, well, I'm talking about these people in the time of Noah. And that makes me think of Noah's boat. And Noah's boat is a bit like baptism. I think it's just as simple as that. I don't think. Anyway, other people will disagree. People like that are fun to be around, aren't they? Although sometimes difficult to work out what they're talking about, which impact what we're discovering. Anyway, he says, Noah built a boat, people were saved through the water, and that was God's rescue pictured as people went through the water on a boat. And that, Peter says, it's a bit like your baptism, where God's rescue is pictured to you 
as you went through the water. And I think if we were conversing with Peter, we might say, okay, it feels like a tenuous link, but you know, he was one of Jesus' first disciples, so here we'd argue. To be clear, Peter says, it's not the water that saves you. He says, not the removal of dirt from the body. So it's not that the water does anything that saves you. But a baptism is a pledge of a clear conscience towards God. He's saying your baptism was you coming honestly before God and putting your faith in Jesus' work for you, that he is the one who came back from the dead and saved you. That's why baptisms are amazing. And if you haven't been baptised, you should be. There's someone publicly saying, honestly before everyone and before God, with a clear conscience, I'm not lying, my only hope is in Jesus. In the same way, Noah's only hope in the flood was the boat. As an aside, that's why at Christchurch we only baptised adults, because we think people who get baptised should be capable of pledging a clear conscience towards God, which is what Peter says you do. So... If you haven't been baptised, you should, but that's an aside. Why is he talking about this here, apart from the water thing, has reminded him. I think it's this. He's saying all of this Jesus-defeating evil stuff, it's not just sort of meta, big, spiritual truth. You know, Jesus defeated evil. It's easy to sign up to that, isn't it? But it doesn't feel like it has much to do with me day to day. But then he's saying, if you're a Christian and you got baptised, you once publicly pledged allegiance to this amazing king to this serving, sin-carrying, evil-defeating king who now rules in heaven. You, you did it publicly. You said, I belong to him. It's not just meta, he defeated evil. It's that you are identified with him in your baptism. And I guess if there are Christians who are not baptised, there's less call to really follow Jesus because you haven't pledged yourself to God in that way. But the moment you were baptised and went before God and said, my only hope is in Jesus, you hitched yourself to his wagon. And that's why there is something very wrong with vengeful, arrogant, harmful Christians. Christians who dwell on the hurts people have done to them. Because when you got baptised, you publicly pledged yourself to belong to the one who didn't do that, who served others. With a clear conscience, you said to God, I am unrighteous and I need righteousness. It's wrong to have said that and then harbour bitterness and anger and hate for people who have wronged you to repay evil with evil. And so, Peter says, arm yourself with the same attitude of Jesus. That's sneaking into chapter 4. Because Jesus thought it was better to suffer than to sin. It's amazing how, to me, how quick I am, how quick we all are, I think, but I'm talking about myself, how quick we are to say, that person did something to hurt me, so I will do something against them. We're so quick to do that. Those people didn't talk to me in that small group, so it's better for me to sin by selfishly choosing not to attend than to suffer that terrible indignity. That person humiliated me, so better for me to sin by getting angry. That person is undermining how I think of myself, 
better for me to sin by cutting them out. I took that person crisps in hospital. And I keep and treasure the feeling of being used. How much better we think it is to sin than to suffer. But remember Jesus. He died for the unrighteous. He defeated evil. He rules in heaven and he wins little victories when we follow his path, when we arm ourselves with his attitude, which is to say it would be better to suffer than to sin. Better to be ignored and keep loving those people. Better to be kind to that person who will keep being rude to me. Better to keep helping that toxic person. But like I say, I'm quick. Quick to jump the other way. Quick to think, better to sin than to let them make me suffer. And that is why I so need Jesus, who died to bring unrighteous people to God. And that is why we're going to spend time today worshipping him in the way he tells us to, remembering his body and blood, taking them into ourselves because we need to arm ourselves with that same attitude that says, like him, better to suffer than to sin. Christ died for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. As we remember him today, we want to arm ourselves with that same attitude. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the gifts of bread and wine you give us to remember Jesus the righteous one dying for us the unrighteous and we pray today as we depend fully on him as we confess to him how often we've chosen sin over suffering that he will fill us with that same attitude 